Uh, it is good to see you here, and uh, as Roy said, I realise there are a number of visitors, a number of familiar faces to me, so it's, it's good to see you. Uh, for those who are visiting, we have just started a new Sunday evening series during Lent, looking at the importance and the value of the spiritual disciplines of the Christian faith. This is not an exhaustive list. But rather than call them spiritual disciplines, we have chosen or we have decided to refer to them as holy habits. And the definition of a habit, you'll remember if you were here two weeks ago, is an action or a pattern of behaviour that is repeated so often that it becomes typical of somebody. And it's our hope that many of these practices will become holy habits in each of our lives. Actions and patterns of behaviour that actually become typical of us. And in terms of why they're worth pursuing, we've identified a number of different reasons. They help us train wisely for the spiritual life. They nurture our internal personal relationship with Almighty God, which in turn then impacts and influences our external relationships with one another. They are also a way, a key way, to guard our hearts. And then finally, they enable us to follow follow a rhythm of life that was modelled by Jesus Christ. A rhythm of life that involved a withdrawal to be alone with his Father in order to practice many of these holy habits, and then an engagement out of that withdrawal, an engagement with people that came across his path on a daily basis. And last Sunday night, we looked at the first two on this list, silence and solitude. And one of the main reasons, and we looked actually last Sunday night at six reasons for practicing silence and solitude, but one of the main reasons for beginning with these two is that without silence and solitude, we will actually struggle to practice the rest or most of the rest of the disciplines. These two are kind of foundational. Now, just as a little aside, whenever I was was going out last week, someone said something to me that, that really has stuck with me all week. And I did share it with a few of you. Uh, But what I hadn't realised is, and when we were talking about silence, we were saying one of the reasons that silence is such a good practice to engage in is because it enables us to listen. And somebody said to me afterwards, and I hadn't realised, that silent and listen are anagrams of each other. I don't know why I thought that was brilliant, but I just did. And it has been buzzing over in my mind all week. But this evening... What I want to do is look at the next one on the list. And Roy already referred to this right at the beginning. That The theme of what I'm going to look at is the holy habit of fasting. Now, as we begin to think about this, let me ask you four introductory questions. What is your approach to this practice? How often do you fast? Why do you fast? Or why do you not fast? fast. Now I will quite honestly admit this is by far the weakest and the least practiced spiritual discipline in my own life. I'm not proud to say that. And yet from conversations with various Christians over many years I find I'm not on my own. That's not an excuse. That's just an observation. 
And so just to get a little bit of congregational participation, because I like that, uh, let me ask you a question. Give me some reasons why this is the case. Why do we seem to struggle with fasting as a spiritual discipline more than most of the others? Over to you. We like our food. We like honesty as well. <laughs> yeah, and we'll come to that. We'll touch on that. Struggle not to see it as a twisting of God's arm. Yes, so in other words, if we fast, God, you need to do something because look how serious I am here. Yeah, brilliant. Okay. Okay. It's maybe not something we're particularly comfortable with as evangelical Christians. Fair point. Any other reason? A couple more? <laughs> I'll leave that. <laughs> yep, it's true, Richard. It isn't it isn't thought about very much. Sorry, Ryan. Okay. Okay. Not part of our culture, and Roy. That same same sort of point. Let, let me let me just say something right at the beginning. This is quite a complex subject, and and I also realise and recognise that there are like there are medical issues connected to a subject like this. And so I, I really want you to hear everything I'm saying through, through quite a lot of filters. This is not a definitive teaching session on fasting. And a lot of what I say, that needs to be borne in mind. I mean, and you know this, or at least I hope you, there are many people for whom the whole idea or the possibility of fast is just out of the question, at least to fast from food. Uh, so so I, just, I, I am aware of that. And if this is something that we do want to pick up or you do want to pick up, what I have prepared is an additional sheet because I realize there's just so much I could cover and I don't have the time to cover. So if you do want to pick some of this up, I have prepared an additional sheet that if you just ask me for, I can get to you that deals with some of those issues. But I really want to say that right at the beginning, that I am aware that there are medical issues attached to this particular subject that need to be borne in mind. And there are lots of other issues attached to it, and I'm not going to be able to cover them all. So this is more a bit of a taster, okay, than anything else. So Richard, I'm not sure yours is going to be, <laughs> your issue is going to be addressed. So I, and I also come to this subject as a bit of a novice, and yet I'm even embarrassed to say that. Because it is a subject that I did look into out of the back of the sabbatical that I have referred to on a number of occasions here recently, in 2001. Because, as I say, out of that time, whenever I was challenged about how do I guard my heart, and I discovered that one of the ways to guard my heart was through the practice of holy habits, fasting was one of the issues that I realized was just was not even on my radar. And so I did look into it. And yet here I am eight years later. And I still confess to you that I'm a real novice in this. This is not a habit in my life. It is not typical of me. I may have taken part in a few 24-hour fasts for Tear Fund. And I may have engaged in a few others. But primarily I speak as someone with a desire to learn. Although even as I say that and as I thought about this, 
if fasting was a holy habit in my life, I would probably feel uncomfortable and uneasy talking about it. So I think because it's not typical of me, I can speak about it. Of all the disciplines, fasting is quite possibly the most difficult. And one of the reasons it's the most difficult is that because it does hurt us physically. It involves a pretty major denial of self. And it seriously will challenge our comfort zones. And I will pick up on some of that as we go through this. It is a tough issue to address. And I think that's maybe one of the reasons why there's not a lot of teaching offered on it. Because in reality we're not quite sure what to say. And there are a couple of extremes. Either we overemphasize it. Or we ignore it. John Wesley caught this perspective on one occasion when he said, Some have exalted religious fasting beyond all scripture and reason. However, others have utterly disregarded it. And just as an aside, John Wesley apparently refused to ordain anyone to the Methodist ministry unless they fasted twice a week. A couple of other interesting things to note as we begin to unpack this. And the first is that there are apparently more teachings on fasting in the New Testament than on repentance and confession. And secondly, Jesus himself appears to have given more teaching on fasting than he did on baptism and communion. Now, I'm not for one minute suggesting, and please hear me, I'm not for one minute suggesting that fasting is more important than repentance and confession or baptism or communion. But I just find that an interesting observation. And as you read the Bible, you do very quickly realize that fasting was a part of the natural rhythm of life for the people of God. They expected and they planned to fast as naturally as they expected and planned to eat. And that is just an alien concept to me. Richard Foster in his classic book, Celebration of Discipline, notes that the list of Bible characters who fasted includes Moses the lawgiver, David the king, Elijah the prophet, Esther the queen, Daniel the seer, Anna the prophetess, Paul the apostle, and Jesus Christ the incarnate son. And we could also add Nehemiah the leader and many others. But as we approach this subject, I want us to turn to a key phrase that appears in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus covers a lot of subject material in that infamous speech that changed the world and continues to change the world. But in the section in that sermon on fasting, in Matthew 6, Jesus begins by saying to his disciples and to those who are listening to him, those words there, when you fast. And I know a lot has been made of this, but it seems that Jesus just assumed that Christian disciples would fast. Not so much as an an optional extra, but as a given practice. So it's not if you fast, but when you fast. And yet again, Jesus modelled this practice in his own life. And this is something we're going to come back to time and time again through this series. But we mentioned last week how Jesus began his ministry in solitude. That when it comes to the whole issue of spending time on our own, this was something Jesus modelled for us. Those 40 days that he spent in the wilderness. But we also know from Luke 4 that he used that time of solitude to include a fast. He ate nothing 
during those days, Luke says. And then there is that classic understatement from Luke. Because he follows up by saying, he ate nothing during those days. And at the end of the 40 days, Jesus was hungry. And therefore the focus of the first temptation comes as no surprise. Because the focus of the first temptation is food. And so the devil comes to Jesus and says, listen, turn the stone into bread. Having fasted, Jesus was surely weak, surely vulnerable, surely ripe to cave in under the temptation to eat. And yet it appears that Jesus was spiritually strong and able to decisively deal with the temptation as he quoted scripture. And he said, man does not live by bread alone. But on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, a phrase that he lifted directly from Deuteronomy 8, physical food is important. Jesus knew that. Jesus knows that. But spiritual nourishment is essential. And if you parallel this experience with what happened back in the Garden of Eden, I think it's fascinating because the devil tempts Adam and Eve at a time when they're surrounded by food, freely provided for them. Their stomachs were full But it seems that they easily gave in. And based on those two separate and very different incidents, someone has offered this question for reflection. Who understands, who really understands that we don't live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God? The man with his belly full or the man with his belly empty? And as I prepared for this, I came across a rather provocative comment. I think this is strong, maybe even too strong. If you never fast, then the whole concept of being wholly nourished and sustained by God's word alone will likely be only a nice, sweet and totally irrelevant idea to you. And worse, if you never fast, when the days of testing and temptation comes, you may not stand. As I say, I think that's strong, maybe even too strong. But at the very least, it's challenging. And I mentioned that Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy 8. And what I would like to do is I would like to read a few verses from Deuteronomy 8. So if you have a Bible with you, please turn to the early part of the Old Testament. And I just want to read Deuteronomy 8 verses 2 to 4. And there is a connection, although it's not absolutely related. Deuteronomy 8, 2 to 4 reads, remember how the Lord your God laid you all the way in the wilderness those 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that people Do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. God led the people into the desert and he caused them to hunger. And in Matthew's account of the wilderness temptations, he tells us that it was the Spirit who drove Jesus into the desert where he spent 40 days without food. And therefore, fasting has been described as a God-led, spirit-driven activity. And based on those few verses in Deuteronomy 8, let me offer you three main purposes behind 
fasting a God-led, spirit-driven experience of hunger. To humble us, to test us, to teach us. You see, fasting humbles us because it very quickly shows us shows up our limits. Shows up how frail we actually are. Because going without food is not a nice experience. It hurts. It's uncomfortable. It's downright inconvenient. But that's good. Because without food, I'm weak. But without God, I am nothing. I need a humbling experience that brings me back to the reality that my very existence actually depends on God. God is my ultimate source of life. And God alone. We live in a society of I'll do it myself mentality. Independence seems to be the supreme goal. And yet as human beings we are. If we really strip it all away we are completely dependent on God. God gives life. He created life. God sustains life. And ultimately God will take life. The children of Israel thought that they could do things their own way. And so according to verse 3, God humbled them. How? By letting them go hungry. So that he could issue a clear reminder that they needed him. A clear reminder of their utter dependence on their God. And I need that sort of a wake-up call every now and again. Because I can become so self-reliant. Even as a Christian, I can attempt to run so much of this race in my own strength for long stretches of time and I lose focus and I lose sight of my point of reference and I lose perspective and I do find myself buying into this I can do it myself mentality even when it comes to my own Christian life. And therefore, what fasting does is it provides me with a holy habit that reminds me how completely dependent I am on God. So that when the hunger pangs kick in, I go, yes, I need food. But actually, what this reminds me about is that I need God. Stop trying to live life in your own strength, David. Depend on me. Depend on me. Some people refer to food as a, as a crutch. The thing about fasting is it rips that crush, crutch away for a period of time. And you find yourself driven to God as a means of coping. Fasting is a humbling experience. And it's a humbling experience. And it's therefore why Jesus had such a problem with the Pharisees. And how they approached this subject. Because they took a practice which was meant to be something that humbled you. And they turned it into an opportunity to use it to promote themselves. And so if you go back to Matthew 6 and verse 16... Jesus says, when you fast, and the rest of that verse is, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. In other words, the very thing that God intended for humility, they were using for self-promotion. And rather than an experience in humility, fasting had become a vehicle for pride. The Pharisees wanted people to know they were fasting. They wanted to come across as particularly religious and therefore they approached it as a demonstration of strength on their part. They could go without food, they could look miserable, but it just proved how strong they were. 
But on that they had completely missed the point because fasting is a humbling demonstration of human weakness because it's when we feel hungry and when we feel weary and we feel weak that through that felt experience we are reminded of our need of God. So fasting has been given or one of the reasons to humble us. Secondly, fasting tests us. This is an interesting area I, I find, and maybe we, we're pushing this one too far. But fasting tests because it exposes, or one of the things it does, it exposes the contents of our heart. Richard Foster, again, more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. So here's a rather searching question in our current context. Can food go from being a source of nourishment and a gift to enjoy to becoming an item we worship. It has been suggested that our preoccupation with food has entered the realm of the absurd. And that within our society, food is not only in danger of, but maybe has become an idol. Agree? Disagree? Discuss? (laughs) Not now. But some of you are saw nodding at various points there. You know, there is no doubt that eating out has become incredibly popular. New restaurants opening up all the time, despite the credit crunch, to meet the growing demand. Eating out is not just a holiday luxury as it once was. It's now a feature of weekly life. And I'm not having a go at any of this necessarily. Please, please hear me. I'm just highlighting a reality. Cookery programs are now prime time viewing on TV. Chefs are national and international celebrities. Recipe books stack the shelves. Supermarkets get bigger and bigger. They open for longer and longer. Food is big business. But has food become an idol? Do we eat because we're hungry and we need physical nourishment? Or do we eat for the sake of eating? It's a fine line. The challenge of fasting is that it tests the food obsession that exists within our current culture. Going without food for certain periods of time will test whether or not our preoccupation with food has become a heart issue. Not a physical heart issue, but a spiritual heart issue. Because it may reveal, what is it I'm exactly giving my heart to? Could we fast for a day a week, for example, or for a sustained period of time? Or has food become too precious to us? Is our appetite for food greater than our appetite for God? Now, I know I'm throwing out a lot of questions, raising a lot of issues, and leaving a lot of things maybe unsaid, but fasting as a practice reminds us of our need to develop an appetite for God. Fasting is actually an expression of our hunger for God rather than just hunger for food. Now, as I say, please don't think I'm having a go at enjoying food or going out for a meal. I I really am not. I mean, food, as we know, is a gift from God given to us to enjoy. I need to keep the balance right. I mean, Paul said to Timothy, everything God created is good. 
Nothing's to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. James also affirmed that every good and perfect gift comes down to us from our Father. And that includes food we eat and the many other things that bless our lives day by day. But why fasting is worth considering is that it reminds us on a regular basis, if we choose to fast on a regular basis, that having more of the giver surpasses the gifts. Hungry I come to you, God, for I know you satisfy. It's one of the songs that I I know you do sing from time to time here. Hungry I come to you, for I know you satisfy. Fasting humbles us. Fasting tests us to ensure that food hasn't become an unhealthy object of of desire. And finally, fasting teaches us. And it teaches us that, according to Deuteronomy 8.4, that man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And if you keep reading through Deuteronomy 8, it's a really interesting chapter, you discover that our dependency on God is jeopardized by the abundance of and an indulgence of food. It's really interesting as you read on in Deuteronomy 8, and I'd like to do that. So if you do have your Bible open again, let's pick up in verse 6. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. A land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills. A land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey. A land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. A land where the rocks uh, are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. And when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his laws and commands and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Down to verse 17. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me but remember the Lord your God in the desert you had no food apart from what I provided for you the manna in this context you looked, at, you looked to me you depended on me but now you're entering a land of plenty and here's the danger God was saying you may now ignore me You may choose to ignore me in that land of plenty. And therefore, is it the man with the belly full who is most likely to forget from whom all blessings flow? And as we fast and as we go without food and as we experience hunger, the second thing this has the ability to teach us is it has the ability to teach us to depend on God's word. Because as we fast and as we experience hunger, then that has the potential to drive us to another source of spiritual nourishment, which God, or Jesus said, or as he quoted Deuteronomy 8, is, comes from God's word. And whenever hunger strikes, and many people who do fast, this is, this is what they say, whenever I fast and the hunger strikes, then instead of turning to physical food, I turn to the spiritual nourishment I receive from God's word. 
So at meal times, at snack times, at break times, rather than going to the cupboard, I reach for God's word. And that is another reason why fasting can be a great discipline, because it can foster a real love for and a desire to eat God's word. Fasting has that potential, but not only the potential to intensify our desire for God's word, but also it has the potential to intensify our desire to pray. Because we know that whenever the Bible talks of fasting, it often links it with prayer. You can pray without fasting, but you cannot fast without praying, biblically speaking. The two go together. Final thing just on this issue of what it teaches the fa- fasting also teaches us to have a heart like God. The, probably the Bible's most extensive passage on fasting is Isaiah 58. Because God in Isaiah 58 rebukes Israel for the way they fast. And so God describes the kind of fast that he has chosen. And this is a different kind of fast. And so verse 6 of Isaiah 58 reads, Is this not the kind of fast I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe him, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? See, the fast that God really seems to choose for us is to have a heart for the hungry and the oppressed and the naked and the homeless as that passage goes on. And you see, whenever we taste a little brokenness ourselves, whenever we choose to fast, we gain a greater urgency to repair for others what has been broken in their lives. In fasting, we experience hunger pangs. We experience that gnawing emptiness, maybe even the dizziness, the weariness, but that acts as a tangible reminder how one-third of our world actually lives on a daily basis. And, they're fasting, and therefore fasting does give us a small taste of what their world is like all the time. A taste we will never get if we do not go without. And as we fast, we allow the gnawing in our stomachs to cause the breaking of our hearts And the breaking of our hearts leads us to respond to the crushing needs that stare us in the face. So I realise this is a tough discipline. It is a costly, holy habit. I also realise, as I said at the beginning, that there are many other issues wrapped up with this. But when it comes to a fast, I think it just has to be a fast from food. Although so much of what I have said and so much about what the Bible seems to imply has to do with food. But what about fasting other things? What about fasting TV for a day a week? Fasting from the mobile phone? Fasting from whatever it is that you turn to for whatever reason? But to go without. And then whenever the pangs kick in and you go, oh, I'd love to watch something. Oh, I'd love to do this. I'd love to do that. That you actually remember, listen, what am I depending on? What has become a crutch to me? Do I need to recognize 
the place of God in my life once again. And for me, that's really what fasting is. It's just a holy habit that acts as a reminder of my need of God. And therefore, whenever I do choose to go without, for whatever period of time I do choose to do it for, that kicks in and I go, yes, God, thank you for this visible reminder. Let me pray and then hand over to Roy again. Father, recognize that this is one of the disciplines on our list that we showed right at the start that that probably we all struggle with the most for different reasons. And we maybe approach it from different perspectives. And God, help us to hear you on this. To engage with the issues further from your word. And God, I pray that if this is a practice, if this is a holy habit that is to become typical of our lives in order to teach us so many lessons that I believe it has the potential to teach us, then I pray that you'd help us to make choices to practice it. Help us to make wise choices in that. And I also pray for anybody who struggles with this for very very practical reasons, medical reasons, that God, none of what I have said would have been a stumbling block or a problem for them this evening. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your desire that we would nurture our relationship with you. And maybe through this and the other disciplines, we may discover that truth. In Jesus' name, amen.